Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Perplexity, a mystery podcast. I'm your host, Kadra, and I am back in the podcast closet, excited to give you guys another episode. I've got a really fun story for you guys today. I am crossing my fingers right now because the podcast gods that be are giving me some audio issues. Uh, My microphone was messing up. Everything was like popping and staticky. I had to adjust the settings like 20 different ways before I got it to sound what I think sounds good. So hopefully that fixes the issue. Before we get into today's story, a couple of housekeeping things as always. If you've been liking what you've been hearing on Perplexity, please, please, please be sure to leave a five-star review on whatever platform that you're listening on. It's super easy. takes two seconds. You just click on the star rating option when you pull up the podcast. This is really helpful for the podcast. It helps boost it up the algorithms so that I can get these stories to more people. On Apple and Stitcher, it also, I think, gives you the option to type out a review. So if you have something to say as well, that's fantastic. Uh, I would really appreciate that. You can also follow the podcast so that you know when new episodes are being released. And you can always send topic requests or crazy story you want to share with me. You can send it to perplexitymysterypodcast at gmail.com. I would love to read your story on the podcast. You could also DM me on Instagram at Perplexity Mystery Podcast. I'm trying to get good now about posting photos that go along with each episode that I tell on the Instagram page, just to give you guys more insight into things that I'll be talking about, since obviously you can't see them. So be sure to follow me on Instagram for those things. If you missed last week's episode, you missed a wild one. I covered... Project MK Ultra. So we did a deep dive on that. Crazy, crazy story. Definitely go back and listen to that if you haven't. I also just wanted to acknowledge there's some new listeners of Perplexity in Denmark. Hello. Thank you so much for listening. We have 11 countries listening now, so that's amazing. Today's episode will cover some disturbing and more adult topics, so listener discretion is advised for listeners below the age of 13. Today we will be getting into the story of King Tut's life, mysterious death, and the perplexing aftermath, including an alleged curse, and maybe even murder. So I wanted to say thanks to my dad, shout him out, because he is the one who recommended I do this story, and he listens to this podcast. So hi, dad. Thank you for requesting this or recommending it. Okay, so let's get into this story. Little disclaimer before I start getting into this story. I might butcher some of these names. It's a lot of Egyptian names, so I apologize in advance. I am trying my best, I can assure you. Okay, so King Tut. King Tut's full name was actually Tutankhamun. So sometimes I'll refer to him as Tutankhamun, but Tut for short is what he's known for. 
And King Tut was born in 1341 BC, so a very, very long time ago. And he died very young at the age of 19 in 1323 BC. He was a pharaoh of the 18th dynasty of Egypt, and he ascended the throne when he was just nine years old. Can you imagine being in charge when you're a literal child of an entire nation? That's just crazy to me. So King Tut reigned for 10 years until his death, and he was one of the few kings that uh, was worshipped by his people during his lifetime. He was seen by the Egyptians as a deity. And of course, being a king, he was insanely wealthy. Tut was born during the reign of Akhenaten, and Akhenaten was pharaoh just before Tut. Akhenaten's reign was quite controversial. He was Tut's father, and he considered himself a chosen one who would save Egypt. So during his reign, there was a radical shift in ancient Egyptian religion. Akhenaten founded what became known as Atenism, also known as the Aten religion. Atenism is monotheistic. They worship a single deity, and it centers around the cult of Aten, a god depicted as the disk of the sun. Up until that point, for 15 centuries, Egyptians had always worshipped an extended family of gods and goddesses. They followed polytheism. So this was a very big deal to all of a sudden just want to change everything. And he, as a result, definitely ruffled some feathers. There were elaborate systems in place in Egypt with priests, temples, shrines, rituals, and Egyptian culture also believed that pharaohs were descendants of gods, making them the closest connection to gods on earth. During this time period, Egyptian rulers also did not want to disturb their precious bloodline. They thought that it would make them less powerful. So, what do you think that means? It was very common to marry siblings and even your own offspring. So we will get into more of that later. But during Akhenaten's reign, there were a lot of traditional temples that were closed because of his new religious beliefs, and many religious traditionalists were suppressed. Idols were even banned, and any traditional images of Aten were changed. This pharaoh basically expected all of Egypt to just follow this new religion. It was enforced that all Egyptians worship Aten and Aten alone. So priests who had devoted their lives to their old religion suddenly had to change everything they had ever believed. Akhenaten also wanted Egypt's capital, Thebes, to be moved. But Thebes had been the capital of Egypt for centuries. It was considered a sacred place, so this was also very controversial. But he ended up moving Egypt's capital about 300 miles up the Nile River. 
He also played a major role in strengthening the role of the pharaoh in Egyptian society. So towards the end of Pharaoh Akhenaten's reign, there was actually a major plague that spread across the ancient Near East. So many royal family members and high-ranking officials died as a result. Many historians and scholars believe that Akhenaten's dramatic religious movement may have had to do with the devastating aftermath of the plague. Later, when Akhenaten died at the age of 36, his religious movement toppled and Egyptian civilization went back to its traditional polytheistic religion. There were even major efforts to remove Akhenaten from any Egyptian records and to remove Atenist temples. So a lot of people did not like these changes and it sounds like they didn't respect him after he died. After Akhenaten died, there was another pharaoh named Smenkare. And Smenkare took over, but only for about a year, and then he died. So this is when the throne was passed to Smenkare's little brother, Tutankhamun. Tut was skinny, he was really short, We know that he had two rather large incisor teeth and an overbite, but he was also nine years old. And because he was only nine years old when he ascended to the throne, many people believe that his great uncle, I, helped him rule and make a lot of executive decisions. So I had served several other pharaohs and acted as their number two. So he was not new to this role. He was also pretty old, especially for this time period. He was like in his 60s or 70s when Tut became Pharaoh. He was the only royal advisor left standing and he really had all the say when it came to Tut's executive decisions as king. So when Smenkare died, I saw opportunity and he started to meet in secret with a military general, General Harimheb, and they began to plan their next steps for Egypt. During Akhenaten's reign, Egypt had paused a lot of their war efforts and they weren't expanding their territory. This concerned a lot of Egyptians, including I, because they feared Egypt would lose their power and prosperity to other nations. So when nine-year-old Tutankhamun, or Tut, became king, Egypt was broken and had fallen out of favor with most neighboring kingdoms. So Tut attempted to sort out these conflicts and make friends with neighboring kingdoms again. And chances are that he managed to do that, as his tomb would later contain a lot of elaborate gifts from other countries. Because Tut was only nine years old, many believe that I ultimately made all those ruling decisions. But many also believe this wasn't necessarily done out of the goodness of I's heart. It's believed that I wanted the throne. There was an Egyptian law at the time that allowed for a practice called heiress theory, 
And essentially, if a pharaoh was unable to produce a male heir, or if that heir died, the pharaoh's daughter's husband could take over the throne. There was one living daughter left from Akhenaten, which would be Tut's sister. And this was a young girl named Anke Simpaten, also known as Anke. So Anke Simpaten was just a few years older than Tut, and Tut was her half-brother. Her family didn't want her to marry outside of the family, since again, this would disturb their bloodline, and they believed this would somehow lessen their power. So, soon after the death of Pharaoh Smenkare, it's said that I had an important sit-down with Tut and Anke. So he convinced them, these children, who were half-brother and sister, to marry each other. Some people believe that during Tut's reign, he became doubtful of traditional Egyptian polytheism. He began to wonder if his father had been right all along, and that maybe Aten was the one true god. Some people support this claim with what was found on King Tut's throne, which was an engraving of Tut and Anke under the sun rays of Aten. So during Tut's reign, Anke becomes queen, and she got pregnant at least twice that we know of, but both babies were stillborn, likely to do with the multiple generations of inbreeding, but they didn't know that back then, and Tut and Anke saw this as a curse, and they saw that this could be spelling the end of of their dynasty, of Egypt, and the pressure to bear children was really high. This could have even drawn a wedge between the couple. So Tut and Anke have been poised to make drastic changes, but before any changes could happen, around 1323 BCE, at age 19, King Tut turned up dead. Now, there's no surviving records that we know of that discuss the circumstances of King Tut's death or how his body was found, but it's clear that people weren't expecting him to die as he was very young, and when he died, he hadn't appointed an heir, so his supporters faced a succession crisis. They needed a new leader quickly. So traditionally, the new pharaoh participated in rituals to ensure there would be a smooth transition of power from one pharaoh to the next. If they didn't pick a new king soon, Tut wouldn't get a complete funeral. This was because they followed a strict 70-day mummification process for all the pharaohs, So basically, when he died, they had about two months to find a new pharaoh to smoothly pass the power to the next person, if that makes sense. While the dead pharaoh's advisors actively searched for a replacement, Anke made her own plans. So she wrote a secret letter to the king of Egypt's longtime enemies, the Hettites, She specifically addressed 
the king begging for his help because she knew that this king had many sons and she was having a lot of trouble keeping power, keeping things the way that she wanted. So she asked this king of the Hittites if he would give her one of his sons in this letter so that Anke could remarry this person and then they could take over the throne together. An alliance with their mortal enemies would obviously be very controversial, and she kept this a secret. So the Hittite king listened, though, and he chose his fourth son, a prince named Zananza, to be the king of Egypt. Zonanza and Anke's partnership could have ended the war between the Hittites and the Egyptians because they were battling and killing each other during this time. But while Prince Zananza was crossing over to Egypt, there was some drama between the Hittites and the Egyptians, and Prince Zananza was killed. So at this point, Anke has lost both of her parents, she's lost her siblings, her husband, and now her potential fiancé. When the king of the Hittites found out about his son's death, he demanded answers, but he found none. And Zananza's death still remains a mystery, but many people think he could have died on the orders of Uncle I. So seeking revenge, the Zonanza's father, the Hittite king, declared war. He led a vicious attack on Egyptian colonies in Syria, and it's believed they also brought a vicious plague with them that killed hundreds of people. So it's said that after these events, I suggested that he could take over the throne and marry Queen Anke. I would have been around 70 years old at this time, while Anke would have been in her 20s. And again, their family, so pretty gross. Centuries later, archaeologists would later discover a ring that was engraved with Anke and I's cartouches. It was a wedding favor commemorating the union of the new pharaoh and his wife. Shortly after her marriage to I, Anke vanished from historical records and her mummy has never been found. It's theorized that she may have died in childbirth. She definitely was not buried with I, who died a few years later. I's art and his tomb also doesn't mention Anke at all, which is not traditional. I ended up being buried in the tomb that was originally designed for Tut also. So now going back to the mysterious death and burial of King Tut, for a while, the location of King Tut's tomb was lost because it had been buried by debris from subsequent tombs and workers' houses were built over the tomb's entrance. It wasn't until way, way, way later in November of 1922 that King Tut's tomb would be found again. On November 4th, which is my birthday, workmen discovered the first step of the tomb's entrance. Howard Carter, a British archaeologist and Egyptologist, led the excavation. 
he and his team discovered the intact tomb, which would later become known as the best preserved pharaonic tomb ever found in the Valley of the Kings, which is a valley in Egypt west of the Nile River, where for about 500 years, rock-cut tombs were excavated for pharaohs and powerful nobles. And there's a common misconception that pharaohs were buried in pyramids. However, the vast majority of them were buried in tombs underground. And until now, King Tut's tomb had remained undisturbed for 3,000 years. So upon discovering this tomb, they found over 5,000 items inside, including several couches, chests, thrones, shrines, and two further chambers, two life-size statues of Tut, a solid gold coffin, fresh linen underwear, board games, dozens of bottles of wine, and much, much more. And this was because Egyptians believed they could take these earthly possessions with them into the afterlife. So they would leave all of these worldly nice possessions in the tomb with them that they might need in the afterlife. So on February 6th, 1923, a couple months later, Carter opened the sealed doorway. This led to a burial chamber and this contained the ancient mummy of Tut. But the tomb that Tut was inside was immediately seen as odd by experts. So first of all, it was unusually small for a royal to be buried in. This could have been due to his death being unexpected or before a grander royal tomb could be completed, but still, it was strange. And the art on the walls inside the tomb was also very different from art traditionally placed in a pharaoh's tomb. There were also no records inside of the king's parents or his reign. Goods inside showed that the pharaoh was married, but his wife wasn't mentioned in any of the murals. The wife traditionally would be included in these murals so that she could join the king in the afterlife. So going back to the ring that archaeologists had found uh, and the theory that I had married Anke, this would explain the wife not being included in Tut's murals because Anke would have no longer been married to Tut when she died. Art inside the tomb also depicted what appears to be I performing the traditional ritual that pharaohs would perform to honor their predecessor. Some people believe that if you disturb a pharaoh's tomb, you will be cursed. And some people reported an inscription that was carved on an Egyptian royal tomb that read, Cursed be those that disturb the rest of Pharaoh. They that shall break the seal of this tomb shall meet death by a disease which no doctor can diagnose. With these beliefs comes the phrase, curse of the pharaohs, which has been used to describe the cause of a large assortment of illnesses, 
ranging from natural disasters to a mild stomach disorder that often is known to plague tourists of Egypt. So if you guys listened to episode four of this podcast, Hellfire Farm, you know about the ancient Egyptian god Horus, who is said to be the Egyptian protector of tombs. And what some believe can happen if you cross him. So with all these rumors of a curse, is there any potential truth? Well, during the excavation, it's said that many artifacts were destroyed due to improper handling. And they also took tons of photographs and kept many artifacts for themselves as keepsakes. They would like keep them in their house or they would even give them away as gifts. So (laughs) as we know, this can be seen as very disrespectful to the dead. And some people could say that this could lead to being cursed or haunted. Because of all the mystery around King Tut's death, Many experts have investigated and come up with theories throughout the decades as to what could have happened. So there were several examinations of King Tut's mummified remains, the first one being in 1926, and this examination was done from inside of King Tut's tomb. So during this time, some strange things were discovered about Tut's remains. Tut's nether regions were very erect. Uh, Some people say that this may have been intentional. Like when they were embalming him, it could have been disrespectful to the pharaoh and alluding to the fact that he shamelessly died childless. And the other thing that was really strange is that his heart was missing. Ancient Egyptians believed that a pharaoh's essence rested in their heart. So while all other organs were preserved outside of the corpse, it was always tradition for the heart to stay inside of the mummy's chest. So why was it missing? If the heart had been intentionally removed, this could also mean that Tut wouldn't have been able to enter the afterlife. His chopped up and mummified remains were then laid under a sheet of glass after this examination. And this allowed for tourists to come and look at it. And his treasures were flown off to museums around the world. There was another theory that Tut could have been murdered by a blow to the back of his head. And this was theorized in 1968 when they examined his body for the second time. They did an x-ray and found that there were two bone fragments rattling around inside of King Tut's skull. And again, this examination was done from inside the tomb. 30 years later, in the 90s, further investigation into foul play was also done. And in January of 2005, King Tut's mummy was examined for a third time. And for the first time, it was actually removed from the tomb. CT scans and DNA testing was done. And when Tut's remains were scanned, there was actually a sandstorm that immediately broke out and the machine stopped working. So spooky. (laughs) 
But later that day, they did get the machine back up and running again. And the CT scan was done, which showed the young king had a partial cleft palate. And he also possibly had a mild case of scoliosis. They also found that this alleged head injury was not a head injury at all. It had been incorrectly identified and they thought that the little bones rattling inside of the skull could have just chipped off when they were mishandling and trying to examine his mummy. Tut also had a compound leg fracture and a clubbed left foot. Embalming substances were present within the fracture, and this would indicate that it was associated with an open wound, so it was a fresh leg wound no signs of healing were present either. Experts also performed genetic and DNA testing, and DNA from several strains of the malaria parasite were found in Tut's remains, indicating that he had been repeatedly infected by the most severe strain of malaria. So while he could have very well died from malaria based on evidence, some still theorize that I was involved in King Tut's unexpected death, or perhaps even General Haremhab, since he would later become Pharaoh after I died. If Tut was murdered, it could have been to set Egypt back to its traditional course of prosperity and polytheism. Okay, so now getting into the mummy curse a little bit more. And this was the man who actually financed the excavation of this tomb. It's said that Herbert visited a psychic several times before going to Egypt for this excavation project. And each time the psychic warned him not to go. But he ignored these warnings. And a few weeks after the excavation, Herbert accidentally tore open a mosquito bite that he had gotten while he was in Egypt. He tore open the bite while he was shaving, and he ended up dying of blood poisoning. This was just a few months after the tomb was opened. Legend has it that when he died, all the lights in his house mysteriously went out. Others say all the lights in Cairo went out when he died. After Howard Carter discovered the tomb, he gave a paperweight to his friend Bruce Ingham as a gift, and the paperweight consisted of a mummified hand wearing a bracelet that supposedly was inscribed with the phrase, Cursed be he who moves my body. While Bruce didn't die from the curse, his house did <laughs> burn to the ground, shortly after he received this lovely gift. And then, when he tried to rebuild the house, it flooded. In 1923, a man named George J. Gould, a wealthy American financer and railroad executive, visited the tomb and fell ill almost immediately afterward. His health declined for several months after, and he ended up dying from pneumonia. Audrey Herbert, the half-brother of George Herbert, was born with a degenerative eye condition 
and became totally blind later in life. A doctor suggested his rotten, infected teeth were somehow interfering with his vision. So Audrey had all of his teeth removed in an attempt to regain his eyesight. And this obviously did not work. Uh, But as a result of this surgery, he died from sepsis just five months after the death of his brother. So some people think he have he may have been cursed simply for being related to George Herbert. Hugh Evelyn White, a British archaeologist, was supposedly one of the men that helped excavate King Tut's tomb. By 1924, after seeing death sweep over about two dozen of his fellow excavators, he died by suicide. Before he killed himself, he allegedly wrote in his own blood, I have succumbed to a curse which forces me to disappear. Aaron Ember, a friend of many present when King Tut's tomb was opened, died in 1926 when his house in Baltimore burned down less than an hour after he and his wife hosted a dinner party. His family's maid also died in the fire. He could have exited safely had it not been for him trying to say the manuscript that he had been working on, titled The Egyptian Book of the Dead. Sir Archibald Douglas Reed, a radiologist, who x-rayed Tut before giving his remains to museum authorities, got sick the very next day and died three days later. James Henry Breasted, a member of Carter's excavation team, allegedly returned home shortly after the excavation and found his pet canary had been eaten by a cobra. And the cobra was still occupying the cage. The cobra, a symbol of the Egyptian monarchy and a motif that kings wore on their headdresses to represent protection, was a rather ominous sign. Later in 1935, Breasted went on a trip to Egypt, and he died immediately after. More than 20 people linked to the opening to Tonkaman's burial chamber died in bizarre circumstances. Six of them were in London. George Herbert's secretary, Richard Bethel, died in 1929, and he was the first person behind Howard Carter to enter the tomb. His death was very suspicious because he was found smothered in his room at an elite London gentleman's club. Before his death, there had also been a series of mysterious fires at Richard Bethel's home, where some of his priceless findings from King Tut's tomb had been stored. A historian named Mark Bainon claims that the six deaths in London may have not been the work of the mummy curse at all and have actually been the work of a famous occultist and Satanist named Aleister Crowley. The historian claimed that Crowley masterminded a series of ritualistic killings out of revenge for the unsacred opening of King Tut's tomb. An analysis was done on Crowley's diaries, essays, and books. 
The historian also argued that Crowley was a Jack the Ripper obsessed copycat murderer. So Alistair Crowley's alleged victims included Carter's personal secretary, Captain Richard Bethel, and Bethel's father, Lord Westbury. Lord Westbury plunged seven floors to his death from a St. James apartment where he reportedly kept tomb artifacts. Other victims are said to be Sir Ernest Budge, a former keeper in the British Museum's Department of Egyptian and Assyrian Antiquities, who was found dead in his bed in Bloomsbury, and Ali Kamel Fami Bey, a 23-year-old Egyptian prince shot dead by his wife, Marie Marguerite, in the Savoy Hotel shortly after he was photographed visiting King Tut's tomb. So Mark Bainon says that Crowley and Marie Marguerite had been lovers, and Crowley put her up to the shooting. Mark Bainon argues that Crowley had motive to tarnish the legacy of Carter's discovery. Bainon would say, quote, When I researched these deaths, Crowley's name popped up again and again. There is plenty of circumstantial evidence linking him to all of the deaths. I have just put all the pieces of the jigsaw together. He would also say so much of Crowley's belief system was steeped in ancient Egypt. He would have seen the opening of Tut's tomb as desecration and may have wanted revenge. Some people also think that the reason so many people who explored the tomb shortly died after may have been to simply not following proper personal protective equipment precautions or PPE, which could have resulted in exposure to deadly bacteria. So one can't deny the veiled mystery around King Tut's death and the many deaths that followed after his resting place was disturbed. Could King Tut's death have been the result of foul play? Could Uncle I have been involved in Tut's untimely death? Is there really a mummy curse? Or could it be murder by none other than Alistair Crowley? We may never know, but these questions certainly are perplexing. And that is the strange story of King Tut's life, mysterious death, and the mummy's curse. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, there are some ways that you can support the podcast. You can tell your friends and family. You could share the link on your socials. You can always leave a review. If you haven't, drop a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening on. And be sure to follow the podcast so that you know when new episodes have been released. Please share stories with me or send topic requests on my Instagram via DM at Perplexity Mystery Podcast. Check out the Instagram for photos to correlate with this episode. 
You can also email me stories or topic requests at my Gmail, which is perplexitymysterypodcast at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening. As always, I will talk to you soon. Bye.